Good morning, my brothers and sisters. Let's pray before we consider God's word together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent another comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who will bear witness about the Son. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would bear witness to the Son among us now. Give us eyes to recognize his presence with us. Give us ears to hear his voice. Soften and open our hearts that we might receive his word in faith and respond in obedience. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we return to John's gospel this morning, remember that we are returning to a section in John's gospel where Jesus is speaking to his disciples on the night he was betrayed, on the night before his crucifixion. And John, as he remembered his experience with Christ, as he remembered the words and the deeds of our Lord Jesus by the Spirit, he thought that he needed to report everything that Jesus said to them on that night. And as you're reading through John's gospel, the first 12 chapters tell us various things that Jesus said and did over the course of a long period of time. But then John in chapter 13 slows everything down and he comes in and he focuses on that evening when Jesus sat with his disciples at the Last Supper and he spoke to them. And remember how John begins that account. All the way back in chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. That's one of the themes that comes out as Jesus is speaking to his disciples at the Last Supper. That he is about to depart. He's going back to the Father. He's leaving the world. And then John tells us, having loved his own who were in the world, the disciples would remain in the world. We are in the world. And the world is a place of darkness. It's a place of spiritual blindness and bondage. It's a place of death, a place of deception, a place where Christians are hated, persecuted, killed, a place where we are tempted to fall away. And in these chapters, our Lord is warning his disciples, I'm sending you into this place. You will remain in the world. But notice what John says. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Yes, you are in the world. Each one of you is in the world. But we abide in the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a theme in these chapters. The love of the Son for us. And in fact, what we heard last week was that we are called to abide in his love. And our Lord gives us that metaphor of the vine and the branch. He is the vine, the true vine. We are the branches. And yes, we are in the world, but we are in Christ, and we abide in Christ, in the world. And because we abide in him, in the midst of the darkness, the death, the deception of the world, we abide in light, we abide in life, we abide in truth. In the midst of the hatred of the world, we abide in love. And just as the branch is vitally connected to the vine, so we are vitally connected to our Lord. And as branches, we bear fruit. And remember what Jesus said. His father's the vine dresser. He prunes the vines. He cuts us when we need to be cut so that we bear more fruit. 
And we bear this fruit in, in the harshness, in the hostility of the world. And some of you who like to drink wine, you may know this, that some of the best wines in the world come from places where the grapes are grown in very harsh climates. In fact, Megan and I went out for dinner last uh, Friday evening, and we had uh, a wine from Italy that comes from grapes that are growing on, on a steep mountainside. And the, the vines are just barely clinging on to the edge, of, the edge of this steep hill. And it's windy and it's hot. Not, not an ideal climate. But given, given the hostility of that climate, the harshness of the climate, the, the vine produces a grape that is used to make the best wine, fine wine, wine that lasts. And our Lord here tells us that we are called into the world to bear fruit, and fruit that abides, fruit that lasts. Actually, we may think, well, the hostility, the harshness, the hatred, the opposition of the world, doesn't that prevent the fruit from abiding? But no, that's not the case. The vine dresser knows. The planter of the vineyard knows. He puts us in a place where actually the best fruit is produced. The finest wine is made. And here in this passage, our Lord, he warns us about the hatred of the world, the hostility of the world. But in the midst of it, he reminds us that he has called us his friends. I have called you friends. And precisely because of that, because he calls us friends, therefore, the world will hate you. And that's what I want to consider this morning. First, Jesus' call to friendship. And that we share in divine friendship. Friendship with the Son. And then secondly, as friends of Christ, we are called into the world to bear witness to Christ. Now we bear witness to Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we do so in a world that hates us and persecutes us. So the divine friendship of Christ and the hatred of the world, those are the two things for us to consider. So first, divine friendship in Christ. Look at verse 15. Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants. And then goes on to say, but I have called you friends. You are my friends. Now, there may be some benefit to take a moment and reflect on and think about the nature of friendship in the ancient world. There was a philosophical ideal of friendship and what friendship looked like. And we live in a time where we've lost that true sense of friendship. And many of you may think of your own life and, and you may not have true friends. It's particularly an issue for men in our society. Don't have true friends. Don't know true friendship. But as we think about what Jesus means here by friendship, we need to listen to what he says. The context itself, what Jesus says here, will tell us what he means by friendship. So we don't need to look at the philosophical ideas of friendship and try to compare that to what Jesus is saying here. Just listen to what Jesus says here. So I want to reread verses 12 to 17 and just highlight what he says about friendship. So he begins, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now notice the second part, as I have loved you. We are friends of Christ because Christ loves us. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And then he immediately says, you are my friends. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. The Lord Jesus lays down his life for us. 
And his love for us as his friends is a sacrificial love, a self-giving love. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Now think about that statement. Because we are friends of Christ, Christ has revealed things to us. He shared things with us. He communicates to us. The very fact of the Bible itself and the blessing that we have of each one of you having the word of God, well, that is the Son speaking to us. And I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I remember as a little boy finding one of the Bibles that had the letters of red, you know, Jesus' words in red. Now, I don't think there's any special significance to that as opposed to the words in black. But I remember flipping as a little boy, flipping through the Bible and trying to find a page where everything is read. And you find that in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7. Look, it's all red. Look at this. And then you find it in this section, John 13 to 17. It's all red. Look at everything that Jesus is saying here. Now, I don't put any significance in the red as opposed to the black letters. But I do put a significance in the fact that Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he speaks to us. Look at what he says to us. We're not servants. We're friends. He makes known to us what he has heard from the Father. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. We didn't come to Jesus and say, hey, I want to be your friend. He came to us. He chose us. And his love for us that makes us his friends is an electing love. He chose us. I chose you, and then he goes on to say, and appointed you. The fact that we are friends of Christ, we are friends of the Son, means that we are appointed, we're set apart, we are commissioned. And he tells us what we are appointed to, that you should go and bear fruit, that, and that your fruit should abide, and so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This is the nature of our appointment, of our commissioning. That we would go. And go where? Go into the world. And go into the world and bear fruit and bear fruit that lasts. And then he says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. And notice as you're looking at these verses, starting at verse 12 and then going to verse 17. In verse 12, we have the command. Love one another as I have loved you. Now my love is a love that calls you to be my friends. And then he concludes with the same command. Love one another. Now, the implication of this is that as friends of Christ, we are friends of one another. And we share in his divine friendship. And as you look around at each, uh, each other person here, that person is a believer. He's a friend of Christ. She's a friend of Christ. And because she's a friend of Christ, she's your friend. And when he says, love one another as I have loved you, of course there's... You know, that's, that's multifaceted. And as you read through John's gospel, you see all of the different aspects and dimensions of that love that we have for one another. But here, the, the particular aspect is the aspect of friendship. We love one another as friends of one another in Christ. And as I have loved you, well, his love for us is sacrificial. That means our love for one another as friends in Christ is sacrificial. We lay down our lives for one another. We serve one another. We stoop down. 
And we've talked about this, the significance of washing one another's feet. We go to one another. We take one another's feet. We wash one another's feet. Our feet, remember, is that's, that's what touches the earth. That's what touches the world. Well, he's going to talk about the world. And so our feet get dirty. We all have needs. We all have sin. That's the dirt on our feet. But as friends in Christ, we stoop down, we wash one another's feet. What are you struggling with right now? What do you need? I'll stoop down. I'll help you. What sin are you struggling with? Let me wash you with the word of God. Let me pray for you. So it's a sacrificial love. It's a love that stoops down. It's a love that is grounded in the election of Christ. You did not choose me. I chose you. We don't choose our friends in the church. That's different than in the world. In the world, generally, we choose our friends. And there's various reasons why we become friends with people. We have common interests. But if you don't want to be a friend with someone, don't spend time with them. Don't be their friend. We choose. We decide. Not in the church. He decides our friends in the church. He chose us. So again, as you look around at one another's faces, there is your friend in Christ. And they're your friend in Christ because Christ chose them. And Christ has made that person his friend and therefore your friend. And we need to be careful because we're living in a time, when part of the spirit of the age is it's a partisan spirit. And just think about all of the messaging that we're hearing about there, and you know this from your own experience. You know this from your own interaction with your neighbors. You know this from your own interaction with your friends, even with your family. The world is very clear about who's in and who's out. There's a partisan spirit. Think of everything that you're hearing from the news these days, the vaccinated, the unvaccinated. The world is setting lines. Vaccinated, unvaccinated. And there's always a temptation for that to creep into the church. Yeah, that's where we set the lines too. But we, 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 don't, we don't determine our friendships as the world determines friendships. That has no place in here. Christ has chosen you, has made you his friend. And as you look around, these are your friends in Christ. And he has chosen them to be your friends. But as... Friends in Christ, we are called, we are commissioned, we're appointed to go and bear fruit. Now it's clear from the context, if you go on and read verses 26 and 27, that going to bear fruit means going to bear witness, bear witness to Christ. And here the, the, the particular aspect of bearing fruit that's in view here is the fruit of evangelism. Yes, we have divine friendship. We share in divine friendship. We are friends one to another because Christ has made us his friends. But we are called to go out into the world and extend that friendship to the world. Invite others into that divine friendship. Reach out to the world. Reach out to those who are enemies of Christ. Invite them into his friendship. And so together as those who share in divine friendship, we also go out and we extend that friendship to the world. Now, the world is a place that is going to resist that invitation. It's going to resist that friendship. And our Lord is very clear about this. The world will hate you. The world will persecute you. So, yes, we share in divine friendship. And we're called to extend that divine friendship. But that call to extend that divine friendship 
is a call to go out to a world that's hostile, to a world that hates us and persecutes us. Now we need to consider the, the nature of that hatred, the nature of that persecution, and the source of that hatred, the source of that persecution. So first, the nature of the world's hatred. And what our Lord tells us here is that the world's hatred is social and it's religious. It's social, first of all. Look at verse 20. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now our Lord is very clear here. There are two societies. There are two communities. There are two fellowships. There's the world and there's the church. I chose you out of the world. You don't belong to that society. You don't belong to that community. And the world knows it. The world recognizes that. The world knows that you belong to Christ. You belong to his divine friendship. The world sees that. It recognizes it. And it hates you for it. Now, this should encourage us. Because the hatred of the world and the rejection of the world is an affirmation that we belong to Christ. That we're friends of Christ. Don't be discouraged by the hostility of the world, the rejection of the world, the hatred of the world. It's an affirmation that you are a friend of Christ. You share in his friendship. But our Lord is clear. They will hate you on account of my name. They will persecute you on account of my name. Because you bear my name. Because you belong to me. And notice what he says in verse 2 of the next chapter, chapter 16. For the disciples, what that meant is you will be put out of the synagogue. Now in the first century, the synagogue was the center of the communal life of the Jewish people. Yes, it was the place of worship on a Saturday. It was a place of prayer. It was a place where Torah was read. But it was also the center of community life. So to be put out of the synagogue was to be put out of the community. Social marginalization. And that's true for us today. We will experience that social marginalization because we belong to Christ on account of his name. We will be put out. And some of you know what this, what this looks like. You know what it means to be put out. You, you know what it means to be socially marginalized. It's happened to you at work. It's happened to you in your community. It's happened to you in your own families. You've been put out. You've been excommunicated. And we know we live in a time where increasingly there are tests to see, are you with us or not? Little surveys that go around the workplace. Let's see. Let's see who's with us. Somebody told me recently that a survey came across their inbox. And they were asked to answer a question. Are you, do you belong to the LGBTQ community? Or are you an ally of the LGBTQ plus community? Those are the two options. So who are you? Are you a friend of Christ? If you're a friend of Christ, you'll be put out. You'll be marginalized. But the hostility, the hatred, the persecution is also religious. Our Lord says again in chapter 16, verse 2, Indeed, the hour is coming... When whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. 
The hour is coming when those who persecute and hate you will do so because they think they are offering service to God. And here we need to recognize the the fundamentally religious aspect of our society. And all human beings are religious. You can't avoid that. It's not a question of whether you serve God. Who's the God you serve? Think of Saul of Tarsus. He's very forthright about this. When it comes to my zeal, my commitment to Judaism, when it comes to my zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. Because of my religious zeal, I persecuted the church. And we're seeing increasingly in our society around us a religious zeal, and a religious zeal that is manifesting itself in persecution and hostility and hatred towards the church. Now, I think most of you have heard something of, of wokeism, you know, wokeism. Well, that's a religion. That's a new religion. Think of the ways in which people demonstrate their allegiance to this new way of thinking, this new way of interpreting who we are as human beings, of interpreting society. There's all kinds of religious dimensions to that. You know, there are certain ritual actions that, that you do. You know, you show up at a certain time and place. You kneel down. You do certain actions, ritual actions. There's, there's symbolism associated with it. You know, the, the, the colorful background on your Facebook page, whatever it is. There's a new liturgical calendar emerging, right? We just came through Pride Month. Well, there's a calendar by celebrating certain things. So there are, there are, there's religious symbolism, there are religious rituals that, that people are expected to follow. If you don't follow it, people notice, oh, what, your Facebook doesn't indicate your allegiance. And there's also a new religious dogma. And sometimes when people come into the church, you know, they'll, they'll come to a service like this on a Sunday morning, they're not believers, and... You know, they hear a certain language, they hear certain words, like, oh, that's all new to me. I don't, I don't know these words that you're using. Yeah, it's religious language, theological language. But so it is with the new religion of our day. There's a whole new set of terms that you have to learn. Now, if you think of religious language, you think of theological language, our, our, that terminology is used to signify some sort of transcendent reality, Right? It's meant to signify something that that brings coherence or makes sense of the world around us. And so it is with these terms. This is religious language. And the expectation is that you're going to subscribe to the new statement of faith, the new dogma. So gender is fluid. That's That's the new dogma. So you need to submit to that. Agree to that. The traditional family, one man, one woman in the covenant of marriage... Children being raised and the security of that bond between a husband and wife. Well, that's now seen as a heteronormative view of the family, which is oppressive. And you can think of all kinds of other examples where we are, we are, where there's a very constant and coercive proselytization going on. You know, people who aren't believers, they hear, oh, proselytize. Like, don't proselytize. Don't proselytize. Seems very negative. Well, we are constantly being proselytized with this stuff. Constantly. It's proselytization. 
And it's coercive because now the, the, the government is passing laws to enforce it. So yes, it's social. You'll be put out. It's religious. It's religious. Whoever kills you will do so thinking they are offering service to God. That's the nature of it. The source of it is hatred of God. That's, what, that's at the root of all this. Hatred of God. Verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Verse 23. Whoever hates me hates my father also. That's at the root of it. The reason the world hates the church, the reason the world is anti-church, is because the spirit at work in the world is the spirit of antichrist. The spirit of the world hates God, hates the Father, hates the Son. And just look at verses 20, 22, 23, 24. Right there, verse 23. Whoever hates me hates the Father also. But look, look what's on either side of that. That hatred is manifest in a rejection of the word of God. I spoke, they heard, they rejected. And look at what comes after that. A rejection of the works of God. I performed these things, they saw them, they rejected them. And so the hatred of the world is manifest in a rejection of the word of God and a rejection of the works of God. A rejection of the works of God in creation. Male and female, he made them. And he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. There you have it. Male, female, the blessing of marriage in the context of the covenant of marriage, be fruitful and multiply, children. That's God's word and God's work, his work of creation. Well, our world hates God, and so at the woman at the well and that wonderful conversation that he has and the way that he leads her out of this concern about, well, I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew and we've got this way of doing things and you've got that way of doing things. I mean, it's very much in our culture, you know, okay, I'm a Samaritan, you know, I'm a woman, recognize my intersectional identity there. Well, okay. Jesus doesn't ignore that, but he cuts right through that. You're a sinner. You're a loved sinner. And the Father is seeking those who worship him in spirit and truth. And then she goes, the water I give you to drink will well up in you, a spring of eternal life. And it does. And she goes back to But the world hates God, so the world hates his salvation. It rejects his salvation. It rejects his son. It rejects the Savior. Now, this can creep into the church. And often the spirit of the age, the spirit of Antichrist is operating within the church under the name of Christianity. But it masquerades, and in a sense, the mask is taken off, and you can see behind the mask because such churches will always reject the word of God. God said male-female marriage. Well, we don't agree with that. Because we follow the spirit of Antichrist. We follow the spirit of the God. And it will be exposed. You know, masquerading churches are exposed because they reject the word of God, but they also reject the work of God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the savior of the world. There's no other name under heaven by which men may be saved. Now, churches that preach otherwise, or churches that preach the world's message of salvation... So the way of salvation is, you know, overcoming your unconscious racial biases. Well, that's what needs to be proclaimed. That's the gospel. To masquerading churches. They reject the word of God and they reject the work of God. 
And so they hate the Father and the Son. Now, given the hostility of the world, the persecution of the world, the hatred of the world, and especially in our context right now in Canada, as we think about our current moment, as friends of Christ, we're called to go into the world to bear fruit, and fruit that lasts. And we may wonder, how is this possible? We don't have the money. We don't have the influence. We don't have the political power. And I think that's pretty obvious. I don't, I don't think I have to argue for that. But none of that actually matters because of verse 26 and 27. When the helper comes, remember what that word helper means. Some of the translations say advocate or comforter. It's a Greek word, paraclete. Literally means the one who is called alongside you. Remember, Jesus is our advocate in heaven, our paraclete in heaven. He's with the Father, advocating for us. And the Spirit sent from the Father is our advocate here, the one called to be with us in the world, in the midst of the hostility of the world. When he comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. Wonderful revelation of the ministry of the, of the Trinity there. The Son will send the Spirit from the Father. The Spirit of of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me. Now it doesn't say he might bear witness about me or he can bear witness about me or do you know you've got this resource of the Holy Spirit like using an app on the phone and if you tap into that resource then you'll bear fruit. No, he will bear witness about me. The Spirit will bear witness about the Son. The Spirit is bearing witness to the Son. And there's no contest between the spirit of the age and the spirit of God. And the spirit of age may have all the money, all the power, all the influence, may have all the universities, okay. The spirit will bear witness to the son. The end. But notice what he then says, and you also will, will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. How is it that the Spirit bears witness to the Son? Through the witness of the apostles. In other words, through the scriptures. We have the apostolic witness in the New Testament. The Spirit bears witness to the Son by means of the word of God. Now how is it that we bear fruit in the world? By means of the word of God. Speak the word of God, keep the word of God, you will bear fruit. And fruit that lasts. So it may seem like everything is stacked against us. The Spirit will bear witness to the Son. You, my my disciples, the apostles, you will bear witness. The Spirit bearing witness through the Word of God. We have the Word of God. We speak the Word of God. We obey the Word of God. We bear fruit. And we bear fruit that lasts. Fruit that lasts. Everything that's going on around us, that's not going to last. We bear fruit that lasts. But notice what else he says here. The spirit who proceeds from the Father. Think about this. The spirit who proceeds from the Father, that spirit bears witness to the Son. The only reason we believe in the Son, we see the Son, we hear the Son, is because of the the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But the Son is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So the Spirit bears witness to the Son. We know the friendship of the Son, the love of the Son. And because the Spirit bears witness to the Son, 
the Father who has sent the Spirit to bear witness to the Son. Because of that reality, we can ask the Father anything in Jesus' name, and he will give it to us. The Spirit that proceeds from the Father that bears witness to the Son is the Spirit of adoption, the Spirit of sonship. So that when we pray, we cry out to God, Abba, Father. And our Heavenly Father knows our needs. Our Heavenly Father listens to our prayers. And our Father gives. Our Father answers. So yes, we go and bear fruit by means of the Word of God. The Spirit is present and active in that. But also in prayer, by prayer. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And that's the confidence of our prayer. That we come to him in Jesus' name. That's the confidence. It's not our own ability to pray. Some of us pray beautiful, articulate prayers. Others stumble and repeat the same thing again and again. And Okay. That doesn't matter. We come to him in Jesus' name. That's the power of prayer. That's the confidence of prayer. There are times when we come and we know that our hearts are mixed with various motivations. There are times where we come and we're struggling with sin. There's times where we know that we're not worthy to pray. We're not worthy to come to the Father. There are other times where everything's going great. You know, we are just like racing ahead in the, in the Christian life. But the power of our prayer does not depend on how we're feeling in the moment, how we're doing in the moment. We come to him in Jesus' name. And because we come to him in Jesus' name, he gives, it. He gives what we ask. Now, I don't think we need to have, you know, a silly view of this. We don't view prayer like a vending machine, like, oh, what am I going to have? I think, uh, yeah, Snickers, you know, put in the quarter, get what you want. That's obviously not how we view prayer. And John himself, in his first letter, clarifies this. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Okay, so there's a qualification there, according to his will. And then, you know, we wonder, okay, well, what's his will? I need to discern that, figure that out. Well, we don't need to discern that and figure that out. His will is clear to us in Scripture. We know what what he wants. We know his will. It's in Scripture. That means we pray the word of God. And the more we are in the word of God and listening to the word of God, reading scripture, listening to scripture, it's just like a child who learns to speak, learns the language from his parents. You hear the parents talking. That's how you learn the language. Well, we listen to God talking. We hear his voice. And the more we hear his voice, the more we hear him speak, then we speak back in prayer. And we know how to pray. We know what to pray for. We know the things we ought to pray for in Jesus' name. And we pray in confidence, knowing that he will give it. Bold, confident, believing prayers. But we should. We have every reason to. What our Lord tells us here gives us every reason to. Whatever you ask in my name, according to the will of the Father, he will give it to you. And that means in terms of our praying in the world. Even as we look at the world around us, and you think of the the circumstance of your own life right now. You know, you're experiencing conflict with these people. You're struggling at work. You've got division in your family over these issues. Everything I've just talked about with the, you know, the increasing hostility of the culture. Well, it's easy to, to give in to a spirit of unbelief and doubt as we pray. 
And that's why we need to be watchful in our prayer. The Apostle Paul says that. Watch. Watch and pray. And King David himself speaks of this in Psalm chapter 5, verse 3. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you. I love the way he says that. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you. And eagerly watch, he says. I think the King James says, look up. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you, and then I'll look up. I'll watch. So we need to be a a praying people, but we need to be a watching people. Sometimes we think, oh, God didn't give what I asked for. God didn't answer my prayer. Well, you're probably not watching. I like what Charles Spurgeon says about watching prayer. Now, quote, You play with prayer when you do not expect an answer. You are not treating it in an earnest, solemn, and devout manner. You are trifling with it. Little children get their bows and shoot their arrows. They care not where they go, up into the air, to the east, to the west. You can picture that little kid running around, just shooting arrows everywhere. It is nothing to them. But men in sober fight, and are we not in a sober fight right now? Men in sober fight take their aim and watch their arrows. So my brothers and sisters, as friends of Christ, we come to the Father because the Spirit has been given to us. In the Spirit, in the name of the Son, we come to the Father and pray. And we look for his answer. He will give it. So our Lord warns us that God the Father has planted the the vineyard of the church in a hostile climate. But it's precisely because of that hostile climate that we bear the best fruit, the best wine, fruit that lasts. And we recognize this morning that we are friends of Christ. He has called us friends. And the love that we know from him is a love that expresses itself in this divine friendship. A friend that lays down his life for us. A friend that has chosen us. A friend that calls us and commissions us to go into the world and to bear fruit. And our Lord gives us every confidence in sharing the gospel. You will bear fruit because the Spirit will bear witness about me. Share the word of God. Share the gospel with your friends, with your family, with your neighbors. The Spirit will bear witness. Yes, as you bear the aroma of Christ, for some it will be the aroma of death. They'll hate you for it. They'll reject you for it. That hatred, that rejection is a confirmation that you're a friend of Jesus. But for others, it will be the aroma of life. And the person you're sharing the gospel with will come into that divine friendship, share that divine friendship with you. And in the midst of the hatred and the hostility of the world, we live, we serve in the power of the Spirit. And we live and serve in word and in prayer, by the word of God, and as a people who pray, but who pray watchful prayers, you know, follow the arrow, look for the answer. And now we come to the Lord's table, as we do every Sunday. 
And let's remember this morning as we come to the Lord's table that this is a meal for the friends of Christ. You know, some of the best times in life are when, we have, when you have a great meal with friends. There's almost nothing better than that. A great meal with friends. Well, our Lord has called us friends. And one of the surest expressions of friendship is an invitation to a meal. Come over. And our Lord, every Sunday, invites us to this table. And it's an affirmation that we are his friends. It's an affirmation. And it's a reminder that we are called to be those who go into the world to bear fruit. To extend the friendship of Christ. Christ.